dismiss our children for children's church uh, pre-K through fourth, I believe. As they're being dismissed, I just want us to continue to sit with as I was reminded in worship of just how good God is that sometimes we we really don't even know what we truly are asking for. Sometimes we truly are, maybe it's, it could be pride. I don't know. For me, it's kind of more pride of anything. Like, I know what I need to, but I can't get myself over the hump of actually saying it or actually asking it. And just being reminded as we were worshiping that, but God is so good that we can just take our O's to him. That we can just take our silence to him. And what I've learned every time I'm obedient in that area of my life, what I've learned is that when I say less, his presence is weightier. Because when he's talking, it's, it's a different type of weight than when we're talking to him. It's a different type of presence than when we're talking to him. And so I just want to just want to encourage us all that in those quiet times, in those times of questioning, in those times of distress, in those times of suffering and pain and despair, that and to not run away from that presence, that quiet time, but to sit in it, to sit in it and allow God to speak to you in relationship to what it is uh, that you're going through. Father, I thank you for being so perfect. God, I thank you for being so beautiful, Father. I thank you for being so, so loving. God, we can magnify and glorify your name and the omniscience that exists in you, God, or the, the all-knowing that exists in you, God. But, but, but when we connect that attribute of who you are to our life, it means that you know everything that we need. God, that's why I'm reminded of your word, God, that, 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 that we need not pray with many words for your father, our father that is in heaven, knows what it is that we need before we ask. And I thank you, God, that you use your, your knowledge, your infinite wisdom, God, for our perfect. And God, you can use it to do anything. But God, you choose to use it to know us deeper to be present with us in a more personal way. And so, God, I thank you for loving us that deeply. And, Father, as I prepare to communicate your love letter, God, would you increase in me while I decrease. In Christ Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, take me out the monitor, please. Um, we are continuing in our multiply series that comes out of John chapter one. Yeah, you can see Coretta's definitely gonna clap it up for multiplication. Amen. Amen. Oh. In today's passage that we're gonna look at in this series is John 1, verse 39, where he says, Come and you'll see. He replied. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him. That day, it was about four in the afternoon. Come and you will see. 
replied. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. It was about four in the afternoon. And so as we continue in our series, you guys remember that the whole purpose of this multiplication series is birthed out of uh, one of our core values, right? The, the mission and vision of Reach City Church is the holistic transformation of people and communities. And one of our core values is multiplication. And if you remember, multiplication for us means this. You can say it with me because it'll be on the screen if you can see it. We desire to intentionally reproduce and empower disciples and leaders for continual kingdom advancement. Let's do it twice. We desire to intentionally reproduce and empower disciples and leaders for continual kingdom advancement. And all good things comes in pairs and three. So we desire to intentionally reproduce and empower disciples and leaders for continual kingdom advancement. That's one of our core values. And when you look at the core value, you see these words like reproduce, empower disciples, continual kingdom advancement. And all of that language just simply says is multiplication. That we want to multiply. And we believe at Reach City Church that the primary mode or the primary strategy to multiplication is disciple making. Right? Now, if you missed the first message, we talked, I talked about that there's a difference when I say disciple-making. Uh-oh, hold on. Got to get my timer so y'all can go home today. <laughs> Boom, let's get it. If you remember the first message, I talked about the difference between disciple-making and discipleship, right? And I talked about discipleship being that thing that we're called to, to follow Jesus. But disciple-making is the process in which God has called us to be on mission with him to make those disciples, right? Jesus isn't coming on the Damascus Road in America anymore. He's doing a lot of amazing things elsewhere. We still haven't allowed him that access in our country yet. So, uh, <laughs> But Jesus isn't giving us Damascus Road experiences like that. But instead, he's called us to be on mission with him to go, therefore, into all of the nations, all of the people groups, and make disciples. So, simply put, Discipleship is how we grow. Disciple making is how we go for the purpose, and the purpose is that people will come to know. Discipleship is how we grow. Disciple making is how we go. And the purpose is that people will come to know. And the reality is if you were worshiping and you had any, as Hadassah was calling you to recall a personal thing that allows you to talk about God deserving or a reason to give him your hallelujah, then you would have recalled something about God that was worthy of your praise. You would have recalled something about God that would cause you to say that this is a good God. And if you truly believe that he is worthy, if you truly believe that he is a good God, then that becomes our motivation for why we go. Because we want other people to know of the goodness of the same God. That we, It is highly selfish to have the good thing of God and not want to share them. It's like Coretta's mom bringing a birthday cake for Coretta. Happy birthday. And then saying we can't have none of that sweet, delicious cake in the back. That would be highly selfish to hold back something so good. Because I like cake. Right? And in the same way... 
Y'all don't need it? Hush your mouth. And in the same way, <laughs> in the same way, when we have something as good as God, some, as, there's something that lasts, that savors forever, that satisfies eternally, that, never, that we will never thirst again, we will never go hungry again after encountering and, 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 and experience with him. Why do we not have this hunger and this thirst? Why do we have to be convicted and challenged to do the simple thing of just going and telling? This is why my messages go longer than I want. You got to be off different things. But check this one out, right? We know the story. How many times when you read the Gospels do you see Jesus perform a life-changing miracle in the life of someone? And the text tells us that then they ran back to their town to tell everyone of what Jesus has done. If they can get it, and you proclaim that Jesus is doing great and amazing things in your life, then why is it that we are so hesitant to go and proclaim the goodness of who he is? Sit with that one. But again, discipleship is how we grow. Disciple making is how we go, and the purpose is that people will come to know. And so whenever you ask somebody that's a member of Reach City Church, and pray for a lot of our members a lot. We a lot of out are actually out today dealing with different sicknesses and illnesses. And so just pray um, for what's going on with uh, those families. But if you ask any member of Reach City Church, then what and they say, well, what is the heartbeat of the ministry? I just want you guys to just remember those three simple words to know to, to I mean to know to grow and to go to know to go to grow and to go and we talked last week about it a little bit you can flip it however you want to flip it but we got to know him and grow in him to go now here's something that we should think about by the way because a lot of times when we talk about even growth and maturity, a lot of times we connect that to just some behavioral transformation that occurs in our life, right? So when we talk about, I need to grow in the Lord, we're talking about, I need to transform some things in my life, or, or maybe I need to spend a little bit more time with him. However, the one thing that is typically missed, and when we talk about being a mature disciple, is it extends beyond ethical transformation. That I'm going to go boldly and tell you that you cannot proclaim to be a mature disciple of Christ if you do not go. Because it's not just obedience to an ethical transformation, it's obedience to the mission. Because he didn't just tell us to live transformed lives, behaviorally. He says, I want you to be transformed into the image of Christ. And Christ told us constantly that I, I'm not here to do my own will, but to do the will of the Father who sent me. That means I'm not here to walk my own path. I'm not here to seek my own career out. But I'm here to do all that the Father has called me and caused me to do. And, it, and we may get confused about our individual purposes in life. But it's one thing that Jesus made very clear for all of us who say we are disciples of his. And that is, let me make it plain for you so that you don't have to ever ask the question, why am I here? Maybe you have to do it on an individual personal level, but on a Catholic level of the church, universal. He says, then the reason you are still here and not with the father right now is because I want you to go and make disciples. I want you to continue the work of advancing the kingdom of God. That's 
why we're here. And everything that is attached to our life is supposed to be something that will help us do that. Your platform is to give you access to people that you may live a life in front of them, that they may know Christ, and you can lead them to Christ. Your music, your job, your sports, your whatever, your wisdom, your knowledge, all of that is meant to be used for the glory of the Father, not selfishly for you. And I know that's like, ooh. But just read the Bible. And I'm not saying you don't benefit from these things. The beauty of God is he, he, he tells us, do it for me, and then he says, but I'll let you be blessed by it too. The bigger purpose is me, but I'll allow you to be blessed by it too, right? So even when they were building the temple, right, remember, uh, he said, yo, let, go get every stonemaker and builder and architect, and, and, the, and the word says, because I have purposed them for this reason. Now, these jokers wasn't kids, but by the time it came for God to want the temple built, or the tabernacle at that point, to be built, he had specific people that he's gifted to do that type of work. And he said, now it's time for, to redeem your gift and your talent for my purposes. And the problem with a lot of us is God has given us these abilities and these talents and these gifts, and they're killing it for us. But then when he calls to redeem that thing for his purpose, we like, whoa, hold up. Wait a minute. This is my stuff. Wait a minute. You trying to get me canceled and losing friends. He says, your friends weren't there just to be your friends. Great, you got companionship, but I put them in your life that you would lead them to me. But you're more worried about keeping an unbelieving friend than gaining a believer. Okay, that's not in the notes. Let me keep going. The mark of a mature believer is not simple obedience to behavioral transformation, but also obedience to the mission of Christ. Right. And so in the first message, we talked about um, this whole process of disciple making that I see in John chapter one, where Jesus gains his first disciples. And in the first message, we talked about stage one is proclamation. In order to ever make a disciple, there must be a proclamation of the gospel. So John says to his disciples, look, the Lamb of God. And we talked about how that is a proclamation of the gospel and mission of Christ. And then in the second message, we talked about this investigation. After John proclaimed, the Bible says that uh, Andrew and an unnamed disciple, which was John, he just he didn't name himself, right, <laughs> um, followed after Jesus. And we talked about how there was two stages of an investigation. The first one was silent because they were walking after Jesus, but it wasn't until Jesus turned and saw them following him that he asked them what they were looking for. So that means that that initial investigation was they like, oh, I heard you say him. Let me walk behind him and catch his life a little bit without him noticing. You know, when we don't know the lights is on us, we live a different type of way. So they wanted to know what is he really about without actually letting them know that we're checking him out. Then Jesus turns, he says, yo, what are you here for? And then they asked him, which is the second stage of this investigation. They say, where are you staying? And I explained that any uh, uh, disciple that wanted to, that anybody that wanted to be a disciple of a rabbi, right, that, that, that question of I want to know where you're staying is not just about I want to come kick it at your couch and watch the game. But that was somebody saying, I am serious about learning from you, and I want to enter into your house that I may sit at your feet and learn from you. And so what they were saying was, hey, we, wanna, we got some questions, and we want to learn from you and hear how you answer this. And we talked about how this investigation period or stage is so important because out of that time is typically when a person is going to make a decision for if they want to follow Christ or not. 
And so the first two stages of disciple making is the proclamation and the investigation. And today we're going to look at the third stage, which is the invitation. The invitation. Somebody say the invitation. Right. And so Jesus looks at them and he's like, yo, what you here for? They're like, oh, we want to know where you're staying. And so Jesus looks and he says, come and you will see. Come and you'll see. You want to come on. Follow me. Walk with me. Do life with me. Learn from me. Come and you will see. And we can look at that and we'll think he's talking about an actual house, but he's not. He's not at all dealing with come and you'll see my house. <laughs> he's saying come and you'll see, see this language of revelation. Come, follow me, and, you, and it will be revealed unto you. All that you are asking me about, all that you desire to know, all that you are inquiring of, come and you will see. So they ask the question of investigation, and, and, and Jesus says, come and you'll see. And that's just a really great practical step in how do we make disciples. Well, at some point after you proclaim and you see that there's an interest there, at some point you have to practically invite them in. Right. I, I, I used to do be in sales and they also always tell you it's one simple thing in sales. Don't forget to ask the ask. Right. If you let them walk away and you never ask the ask. And, and, and they all will say and I remember I would be like, well, they ain't seem interested. They said, you got to ask the ask because you'll be surprised at who is interested and they're just waiting on an invitation. Right. And so at some point, if we want to be disciple makers, we have to move from just proclaiming, living right, letting them watch us. And we have to say, hey, can you come into proximity with me? Do you want to come and learn? Do you want to come and really find out what does it mean to follow? Because they're, they're skeptics. They're investigating. They're interested. And I don't know about you, but I would hate for somebody to only know who I am from a distance. You can only learn so much about me from just watching my social media. You can probably learn a lot of bad stuff about me. But you only learn so much about me from watching my social media, right? But if you really want to know who I am, then you got to come sit at the dinner table with me. You need to come into my house. You need to spend some time with me. You need to ask some questions. Because then all of a sudden you're like, oh, this is who. And so Jesus is like, come. Stop being at a distance trying to figure out who I am and stop trying to figure out, well, let me see from a distance if he's the God that I should be following. He's saying, how about you just come in so that you would really come to know who I am? And now, and now people can't follow after Jesus that way because he's not physically here. And so he's telling us that we should be inviting people because we're supposed to be the lights. We're supposed to be the ones following after him, leading people. So he's saying, listen, now we should be saying to people, hey, I see you watching me. I hear you got some questions, but now I want you to come in to really see how I do life. Really learn about who I am. Because that is so essential when we talk about making disciples. And here's something that we should really think about. John and Andrew were disciples of who? John. And Andrew were disciples of John the Baptist, <laughs> okay, or the baptizer, right? John says, one who is coming after me, I'm not worthy to tie his sandals or a shoe, right? And he's pointing them to him. And so John and Andrew is like, well, we, we know John. 
We know what he about. We know what he do. Should I really leave John to follow Jesus, this guy? We don't even know who he is. And, and, and understand the connection between the person when you proclaim the gospel to them. Because what you're calling them to do is forsake the world to follow Jesus. And so what they're saying is, well, is, is he really good enough? Is he, is, is he worth me leaving the world to stop following after the world and their ways and, and, and that worldview and belief system and really follow Jesus? Is he really good enough that I should forsake my flesh and the things that I want to do in my flesh and the, and, the, and, the, and the perversions that exist in my mind and in my body and that give me instant gratification and satisfaction? Is it really worth me leaving that to follow Jesus? And they like, I got to see something that's going to help me realize that it's worth it. And so this is what they're wrestling with while they're investigating. And it's our responsibility then to invite them in so that we can allow them to see that it truly is worth it. And when we invite people in to learn, we are giving them something to count. Jesus is worth the follow. Right? And that's a shirt. Let me get that other shirt. Jesus is worth the follow. Because, you know, on Instagram, like when somebody be like, follow back, and you got to scroll, you go, you go what? You go right to their page and like, how many followers they got? What, is you worth my follow? <laughs> right? Everybody's finding out, are you worth following? And that's the same thing they're doing with Jesus. And the reality is we know that Jesus is worth the follow. Right? If, if matter of fact, if you watch it online or you, are, you, know, you do designs in here, you know, go ahead and make that, print that, make that shirt for me so I can get it printed up. Just a shameless ask. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I ain't looking at nobody. Just the camera behind. It's the camera next to you. <laughs> but there's a seriousness in this invitation. And it's so serious that Jesus makes this. Jesus makes this assertion of actuality. What do I mean by that? Jesus was so confident that if a person would come and learn that they will see that he is worth the follow. And, and because understand what he said. Where you stand, come and you will see. And again, we're not talking about a house here, right? He is telling them, come and all that will be that you desire to know will be revealed to you. He's saying, come and you will, not that you might. But come in, you will see. You will see, yeah, where I'm staying. But greater than that, you will get revelation of who I am. And next week, we'll talk about that fourth stage, which is realization, because they came out of that time with him proclaiming and declaring that we have found the Messiah. Right? Now, just do a little bit of looking at this word. So this word, see, is about revelation, right, all throughout the Bible. Right. It's about revelation. I want you to go into the nations to open the eyes of the blind that they could see revelation. OK. And the cool thing is not tagging me. And the cool thing is <laughs> um, grammatically, Jesus is expressing this as well. Right. So because this word see and I, I don't give you a lot of Greek only when it matters. Um, but this word see is this word of uh, horror. Right. And 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 it's. It's a verb, obviously, but it's, it is also indicative, and it is a middle verb. 
right? And that stuff is very important. Because in, in, in a middle verb is actually saying that the subject is responsible to receive the action. And so when Jesus says, come and you will see, he's saying the, the, the person is responsible for, for the seeing by way of coming, right? And so what he's saying is when we invite people, right, if they really ever want to truly get revelation, there's a responsibility for them to actually come and see, right? And this is important because sometimes we'll talk to people and you'll give them the invitation, come to discipleship, walk with me, do life with me, and they'll reject it. And Jesus is saying, well, as long as you're going to continue to reject actually coming, you're never going to see. As long as you continue to sit on the outskirts, if that's you, somebody who's investigating and seeking, as long as you continue to sit out on the outskirts asking a bunch of questions, never seeking answers to them, he says, then you're never going to re And that's just basic, right? That's not overly deep and spiritual, right? If, if, if I don't ever, if I got questions and I never actually, even at best, Google the answer, stop Googling your theological questions, but just in life, right, then I'm never going to get an answer, right? So if I have questions about something, then I have a responsibility to do what? Find out the answer, okay? Now, it's also um, indicative and in with that, that mood is, is an assertion of actuality. And so what he's saying by see is, it's their responsibility to come so that they can see, but also he's saying it's actual. And what he's saying is that this revelatory, this revelation that he's speaking of is not a maybe type thing. But that if they do come, they will indeed see. And this confidence that Jesus had is so important. Obviously, he's Jesus. So he knows, like, yo, come now. You'll see that I'm who I am. He know who he is. Right? But at the same time, do we believe the word of God? Do we believe that the word of God is, is, is the words of Christ? Do we believe that Jesus is good? Do we believe that he is the salvation of the world? Do we believe all of the things that we proclaim to people? Because if we believe all of these things that we proclaim to people, then we should be equally as confident that if they actually came and tasted Jesus, that they would see that he is good. That if they actually came and saw, that they would come to know <coughs> that he is good. And, and I told you guys <coughs> last week that the reason is not because you're smart or I'm smart. But remember, John proclaimed the good news to many of his followers. And I told y'all, according to John chapter 3, some of them never left John, right? Some of them were mad that people were going to Jesus over John. And so I, say, I told you guys that that investigation stage is not necessarily a rejection of the gospel because everybody doesn't take the time to seek. But when you have somebody that you proclaim to who, are at, who is actually interested in wanting to seek out, then that is what I believe God doing the drawing. And because he is drawing them, if you invite them in, he's saying it is guaranteed that they will see. Why? Because I'm the one that drew them in the first place. And I drew them because I want them to know me. And it's not your work that's going to be the one that could cause them to see, but it's your obedience to inviting them in to learn. Jesus says, just get them at my feet. And I'll show them and reveal to them all that they want to know. And again, they can't go sit at his physical feet. But that's why we have the Gospels. The Gospels are the narrative of those individuals who followed after him. That's why, and Coretta's going to scream in a minute, but that's why it's so important that if you really want to know what's the best step for a new believer, it's not 
uh, a systematic theology book. It's not your favorite author. It is the Bible. The best place to start for a person who is interested in knowing Jesus is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Because it is the literal narrative of his life. And, if, and listen, if I wasn't alive to talk to somebody, then I want to at least read the autobiography. <laughs> Give me something that's going to tell me something about them. Not your opinion, not somebody else's opinion about their opinion. But I want to learn from them. And the word of God is living and active. Right? Sharper than any double-edged sword, able to cut through bone and metal, right? It's live and it's active. And so if we just get people in front of it. God is like, I'll do the rest. Just get them to read it and watch how I illuminate truth to them in such a way that they will come to know that I am good. Confidence. And we got to learn to have confidence like that. Right? Jesus is saying if you take the time to actually come to him, learn from him, which is for us through his word, then he promised that revelation will follow. And that's the most effective place for us to start then is with the word. Jesus is calling us to invite people into our lives that they can learn from us about who Jesus is so that they will come to see that he is worth the following. He's confident in that. But I want us to be mindful of something here. And may ruffle a, a few feathers here. But I want us to be mindful. Because a lot of times when we hear invitation, what we look at this stage as is an invitation to church. I proclaim the gospel to the unbeliever, and then I'm supposed to invite them in, and so I invite them to church. Come to church with me. And I want us here, just walk with me for a minute. I want us to be cautious with that. Because I'm of the mind frame, if you've been around me for any amount of time, I have been saying for many years that the church service is not for the unbeliever. We shouldn't be catering our services for the unbeliever because it's not for the unbeliever. Sunday worship is for the believer to celebrate the Father and for edification. Okay? I've been saying this forever. Right? Not the church as an organism, but I'm talking about the fellowship on Sunday. And the reason that we must be cautious inviting the seeker or skeptic to church as the mode of evangelism is because Sunday worship is not about evangelism. And it's very dangerous. Here's what, just rock with me. Sunday worship is about the edification of the believer, the worship of the Father, okay? Just, just pay, pay attention to me for a second. And so that would mean that there's some things that should be being taught on Sunday. That Paul says that the word of God is foolishness to those who are perishing. To those who don't know him, then the word of God, the teachings of God is foolish to them. It makes no sense to them. Okay? Now just keep rocking with me. Because somebody is probably saying, I'm sure, watching or even thinking, what do you mean? It is. That's, we invite them. We do an altar call. Pay if you ever pay attention, how often do I do a salvation altar call? I don't do it a lot. Sure, unbelievers may be present, 
right? But the message is not an evangelistic message. It's a message to spur the believer on to Christian living, right? And, part, and I'm telling you, when, we, when churches wrap their entire church service around evangelism and not edification, you get robbed. Because you are not getting taught the things that you need to be taught in order to go out there in a world and live as believers. you got to understand, the first century church were being persecuted. They were being beheaded. They were being killed. They were light ornaments in a yard for these wicked people. And the only thing they could do was get together with each other and get a word to encourage them <laughs> to keep going. And when all we do is focus on the unbeliever in our worship service, you get robbed. Now, let me give some scriptures so nobody thinks I'm just talking here. Acts 2, 41 and 42. So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added. So the context is what? Believers. They. Who is the they? The people that got baptized and got, okay. Right? And they did what? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now, this verse doesn't say anything about Sunday. So I don't want anybody to be like, well, I don't say Sunday. In fact, it later says that they met every day. True enough, but I'm building something here because I want you to see what was happening here because this was on Sunday. But I want you to see what was happening here in connection to make sure that you realize that what we're talking about here was on Sunday. Right? Side note. If. <laughs> if. I got time actually today. <laughs> if. There's 168 hours in a week. We stress to people how important it is for them to come to church. Not be a fire, but, but come to church. We stress Sunday, right? So it always interests me that out of 168 hours of, some, of a week, that something that is supposed to be so essential to my Christian walk, that one hour is all that we think we should be getting. So 168 hours, but this thing that is also important, get me out in an hour. I just wonder what message we really convey to people when we stress coming and then rush out of it. Maybe it's because services are catered to evangelism and not actually spurring on a believer. Because if anybody knows about going through life, I might need to sit a little bit longer. I might need to be with you a little bit longer than 60 minutes. And I'm not knocking the 60-minute church. I'm just saying anybody that got something to say to me, stop it. I'm just offending me right now. I ain't talking about them. <laughs> now, and I'm not making a case for all-day fellowship. I'm just saying what the Bible says. Acts 20, verse 7. On the first day of the week, we assembled to break bread. First day of the week, according to Jewish calendar, is what day? Sunday. Paul spoke to them. And since he was about to depart the next day, he kept on talking until midnight. And a lot of times we'll ruse that verse and talk about long preaching. That's not the point. The reason Paul spent all night talking to him is because he was about to depart. So he had a lot to encourage them with. Okay? I need you all to read your Bible for a second with me. All right? Acts 20, Ephesus. I want you to... Go on over and start reading. What was happening to the believers in Ephesus? 
What was, matter of fact, it was so bad in Ephesus that 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus is all about dealing with the nonsense that was happening in Ephesus. So Paul is like, I'm leaving. I got a lot to say to you. <laughs> and so he spent all night trying to edify and encourage the believer, but it also says that they did what? They broke bread. All right? Now, sometimes we read that, and so we see Paul was what, an apostle? So we got the apostles' teaching present. Then we have this breaking bread thing. And what I'm just trying to make a case for is that what happens on Sunday gathering is not for the unbeliever. Primary. That's not the primary focus. And so you see this breaking of the bread. This is, this is the kicker. This is if anybody wants to argue with me, this is the end all conversation. You will constantly see breaking of bread, breaking of bread, breaking of bread. And he wasn't talking about a great fellowship meal. While that can happen. Matter of fact, if you go on over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, you'll see a whole problem that was going on. Because they were focusing more on actual food, right, that they were harming other people. And so Paul was like, don't you got a house to eat at? Go eat at home. Because that's not what we're here for. There's fellowship meals, there's fellowship. But the breaking of bread that Paul is talking about, 1 Corinthians 10, 16, the cup of blessing that we bless is not a sharing in the blood of Christ. Is it, I mean, is it not a sharing in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a sharing in the body of Christ? The Lord's Supper, communion, which is, by the way, why we do it every single week. Because they did it when they gathered, every time they gathered. Right? Again, I'm not knocking any church that don't do it. I'm just, I'm just staying here. Best place for me to be is writing the word. If I do what God says, I'll get God's <laughs> results. Right? But the breaking of bread was the Lord's supper. They were participating in communion. And communion is for who? The believer. Their gathering was not about evangelism. Their call to evangelize was what they were supposed to be doing all the other times. <laughs> but when they came together, they were supposed to be being edified, spurred along, Hebrews chapter 6, spurred along in their faith and encouraged through the singing of the psalms and the hymns, right? Sunday fellowships are about believers, not unbelievers. And I'm not saying don't invite people to church. I know. And I'm the worst. I get it. Because I say everything that is hindering, that will hinder mass church growth. They like, he just told me not to invite people to church. I know, I'm sorry. I, I kicked myself in the butt. But that's okay. Because we're not trying to get quantity of people in seats. We're trying to get quality people in seats. I don't need more members. I need mature disciples of Christ. Members won't get the job done. Disciples of Christ will. Okay? And so that's all I'm focusing on. 10, 20, 30, 5,000. As long as you're a quality disciple, I'm happy, right? Now, Sunday fellowship is not for believers. I said it already, blah, blah, blah. I'm not saying don't invite people. Okay, that's what I said. Let me explain to you why it's dangerous. I got it. Okay. Let me explain to you why it's dangerous. So I want you all to understand something. Imagine you invite a skeptic to church. And if you know me, I'm going to teach the Bible. So we're going to address real things. So now you've invited a skeptic to church that for whatever reason in your evangelistic efforts you told them about how good God is and that he can give you rest for your burdens and then they come to church on Sunday and I'm talking about how to endure and suffering because we all will suffer. Well they sitting there like hold up wait a minute I'm, 
I'm doing that out there. I thought you told me come to Jesus for rest. I didn't came to the church, and the man just told me that God told me I'm supposed to suffer. And I got to endure. They like, I ain't, I'm cool. Dangerous, right? You can harm the skeptic or the one that is investigating when you bring them into the house of the Lord because, I'm, because some of the truths that we teach are built on a foundation that you need the Holy Spirit to be able to gather and understand. But this is why so many people, we know it. How many people do you know struggle with God being good because of suffering and evil in the world? Right? And then we bring them to church as a skeptic who's already struggling with that. And some of y'all are struggling with it. And y'all got the Holy Spirit. And so we start to struggle with that. And then you come to church and I'm talking about the sovereignty of God. And the sovereignty of God. And now they sitting there concluding, well, wait, if he's so good and can do all things, but he won't do it, God is evil. That's literally the argument. But because they have no foundation, they can't understand the things that we're talking about. And so it becomes dangerous. It is very dangerous if you just use Sunday, at least at reach, as an evangelistic tool. Right? And so we have to be cautious. Now, I'm not saying, after I said all that, I'm not saying don't ever invite nobody to church. But what I'm saying is be careful. Make sure you have a conversation with them first. Meet with them first. See where they're at first. Or at best, hit me up like, hey, bro, what you talking about today? <laughs> All right, I got to guess. I just want to make sure. Like, you ain't talking about nothing crazy. Is you like, they, can they come? Ah, it's a light one today. Yeah, bring them through. <laughs> it's a light one today. We talking about love. <laughs> Be careful. Be careful. And at best, if you're going to invite them to church, do more than just sit with them. Schedule the time to invite them when they got time to meet with you after. <laughs> because now you need to go hang out with them and be like, hey, let's talk about that word. I know he said a lot of stuff that you probably like, whoa, okay, let me, let's talk. Right? And do it that day. Because the enemy coming through that night, like, <laughs> I mean, you heard what he said, right? Right, so if we're going to use church, because some people, I get it, feel like they're not at this level to really invite somebody in, and so church becomes like the safe thing for them to do because they don't feel comfortable. We need to deal with that, get in discipleship so you can be comfortable, but in that process, okay, maybe you do it, but make sure you do it with caution and intentionality. Don't just pawn them off to the church, because I don't know nothing that's going on with them, so I'm just going to be talking the word like I'm supposed to. All right. The invitation, though, if it's not to church, Tank, three minutes. If it's not to church, then what's the invitation? Well, it's to you and your life. <laughs> the invitation is to walk with you. Right? You proclaim. They're investigating you. The invitation is to you. But this is the biggest problem with our church today. Not this one, but Western Christianity. Because when you start talking like this, we get done. Right? Because we're so focused on us that this right here, this invitation into your life, that's intrusive. And we're too busy for that. And the world and told us that we got to protect all of our boundaries in life from people. Toxic people at that. Well, an unbeliever is toxic, so I don't understand how you can say that and still call yourself a disciple maker. I don't understand. Like, we're called to the toxic people. We're toxic. To Jesus, <laughs> right? But, but, but us who are discipled by the culture, we be regurgitating that stuff. That's just weird to me. 
Those are weird statements to me. And I'm not saying give all your time and efforts to everybody. Remember that the ask to come into the house of the rabbi was meant for somebody who was actually serious about seeking. So I'm not saying give all your, but if they serious about seeking, invite they toxic behind to your dinner table. And pray to the Lord to help you figure out how to detoxicate them. <laughs> Make my own word up. Detox is the real word, right? <laughs> hey, listen. I got degrees. I can make my own words up. <laughs> but listen, disciple making is cognitive. That's information, relational. That's lifestyle. And this is where we struggle. We're okay with inviting people to church. We're okay with even getting on a Zoom call to teach them a word or invite them to Bible study. But when it comes to inviting them into our life, that's where we start to draw the line. We don't invite people to come and see because we got a family and we think that because you had kids that God didn't know you was going to have, that that exempts you from being a disciple maker. That's the best place for you to be. You know, if you, you know, parent well. <laughs> Sometimes there's a reason they don't invite people into their life. That's another message, though. But, but the point is, there's no exemption. You too busy? You got a job? Great. That means you're around people. I don't do nothing but go to work. Do you work in a box? <laughs> no, I work on the line. Oh, you got people right next to you. And you mean to tell me that the eight hours you, I used to stand on the line, and we stand all day, tired, doing this. So you mean to tell me, y'all? I know y'all done talked. Y'all done had tons. I know the conversations I had on the line. So that means it ain't that you ain't got time to talk. It, you, you having a conversation. We need to come to discipleship and figure out how to about that conversation. We, got, we have margin to talk to people. Nobody's that busy. We're not. And if you are that busy, make margin, not excuses. When I was an independent contractor, oh, there it is. Okay. I said it five minutes less, though, so I got more time. Listen. <laughs> Be intentional to invite people into spaces where they can observe your lifestyle as much as you invite them into spaces to teach. And I remember <coughs> people look at me and they ask me questions. I'm, I'm done. And they ask me questions, and they say, I literally was meeting with her. I, told, I, told, I think I told you that I was met, met with somebody, and they was like, man, wow, you've been a Christian for, what, 10, 11 years, something like that, 20, 20, what, 2010. And they was like, and the, the things that you have, that you're doing, that you're accomplishing or whatever, and they's like, that's, that's amazing. And I, was like, and I was like, well, that's because I had people, seven men who surrounded me that I was with every day. Right? My discipler, his whole family, I was at family reunions, birthday dinners, his wife calling me like, hey, we going out to eat with Cliff, you coming? <laughs> right? She, like, we up all night, like, she cooking dinner, she calling me on the phone like, you coming through to eat tonight? I'm like, yeah, yeah, right? I ain't got no car, they picking me up. Like, I was all up in their business, they house, they life. And so all by nature, sorry, some of this is, you know, it happens, right? Follow up. Right? So by nature, what, so when I got busy being an independent contractor, I just used to start taking the people that I was walking. I'm like, ride with me. I got to go do some repairs over here. Ride with me. I'm an independent contractor. I don't got no boss. I do whatever I want to do. So I can have anybody ride with me that I want to ride with me to go anywhere that I want to go. So I took advantage of that, and I had these individuals riding with me, and then I would pay them because they would do some work. I wasn't like bribing them, but I was like, oh, you spent eight hours with me. I need $50, right? Because you did help me, Right? But I figured out how to invite people into my life. 
My wife and I, we figure out how to invite people into our life. Yes, I'm not saying it's the easiest thing to do. Sometimes I don't want you at my house. I'm just being honest. But sometimes it's more beneficial for you to be at my house than to be by yourself. So come through. I can, I'll be okay. At best, if I love you enough, I'm just going to sleep. So, hey, you good. Do what you do. I'm going to bed. <laughs> You're in a safe place now. <laughs> right? It's not convenient, but disciple making was never supposed to be. Right? But we got to start inviting people into more than just book education and cognitive learning. And we have to begin to invite them because you can tell me all types of things. But I need to see how you actually apply it to your life. You keep telling me that I got to love my enemy. I need to see how you're going to treat the people because I know you got some enemies. At some point, if I'm walking with you, somebody you don't like, you're going to have to interact with. And I need to see how you interact with that person you don't like. Right? I need to see you live out the things that you've been teaching me in the word. That's why discipleship was both lifestyle and education. This phase is so important because when we master this phase, I believe that more people will make a confession and it will be a solid confession. But all I hear too much is, there's more than one way to make disciples. <laughs> no. Lifestyle, cognitive, experiential, relational. That's what the Bible says and demonstrates. So whatever other way that you didn't conjured up in your head that has no scripture attached to it, it's just you making an excuse for not wanting to do something. I ain't got to invite them all up into my life. You do. It is literally what they did. Like, this stuff is not even biblically questionable. The question is, why don't I want to do it? We got to get to this place to stop trying to make the Bible agree with what we don't want to do and just be like, yo, I just don't want to do it. Lord, help me care enough. All right. But the invitation is critical, right? You got questions about God's word? Come and see. You got questions about Christianity? Come see. You got questions about ethics? Come see. Flesh? Come see. You want to know if God is real? Come see. You got questions about if Jesus is worth to follow? Come and see. Right? And I know I'm challenging you. But I'm not doing it to condemn you, but I'm trying to press us to be disciple makers. Paul says in 1 Timothy that there's a such thing as doctrines of demons. And if you hang out, if you hung out with us two weeks ago on Tuesday, well, you get to really hear my thoughts? I don't, listen, y'all think I'll be giving y'all stuff up here. Come sit with me on a Tuesday. You'll hear, you'll really hear what I can hear, right? But Paul said, there's a doctrine of demons, right? And he wasn't using hyperbole. He meant that these wicked, fallen, rebellious angels are actually out here teaching people nonsense, okay? That's why Paul says in Galatians 1, if I or an angel comes preaching a different gospel, let them be accursed. He wasn't using hyperbole. He was trying to communicate to you that they will teach you something as well. And so if we have this, this very real spiritual realm where there are individuals that are being used by the enemy as false teachers, as false prophets, teaching lies about who Christ is, and there is a battle for souls, then it is too critical that we invite people in to learn the truth. Because if you want to invite them in, people are going to get their questions answered. And if you won't be the one to spend time with them, if you won't be the one to do life, and, and, and I said, and I'm, I'm, okay, two minutes. And I told y'all this before. 
We can keep talking about the Jehovah Witnesses. We can talk about the Hebrew Israelites. We can talk about all of these, what I would call a cult. But at the end of the day, they, they sit in three-hour discipleship classes. At the end of the day, they on the street for five, six hours talking to people. At the end of the day, they knocking at your door every Saturday. They own it. The, the, the Mormons, they coming through. They are going to spend time. And they're going to set a date. They're going to put it in their calendar. And they're going to come back. And they're going to come back with their, I ain't know all the answers. So I'm going to come back with my elders. Right? And then we wonder why we losing. Right? We wonder why Mormonism is still the fastest growing religion in the world. Right? There's reasons why this stuff is happening. It's because people are being active and teaching. And if they're doing all of that and we are refusing to, then who are they going to get knowledge from? It's basic logic, y'all. And so I'm not trying to condemn y'all, challenge y'all, but I got one responsibility on this world. Two, three. Okay, I got a few. <laughs> Make disciples. Love my family, take care of my family, and shepherd y'all. And so I have to do what is right for me to instruct you guys and to press you guys and to challenge you guys because we can't say we're a ministry that is built on disciple making and we don't make disciples. That's just a great tagline at that point. <coughs> that's just three, that's not COVID. I, when I, you know, that's just three cool little words to put underneath our slogan. No, grow, go. That just sound cool. Right? That's just good jargon. But I don't want to be people that talk about it. I want to be people that when they look at Reach City Church, they're like, if they don't do nothing else, they might not have a bunch of children's ministries. They might not have a bunch of uh, programs. But if they don't do nothing else, what they will do is make a disciple. You want to know Jesus? Talk to one of them. You want to grow in Jesus? Talk to one of them. You want to know what you want to go on mission? Rock out with one of them. That's what I want people to say about this ministry. Right? And if we do that, then I am convinced with the confidence that Jesus had that when we invite and they come, he will reveal himself and the kingdom of God will be advanced. Father, I thank you for your word.